Let's take our Bibles to Isaiah chapter number 52. Isaiah chapter 52. <clears throat> Turn there with me. Isaiah chapter number 52. And I'd like for you to stand, if you will, tonight. And uh, not just to stretch, but to give respect to the Word of God. Isaiah chapter number 52. Let's look down at verse number, verse number 14. The Bible says, and as many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of man. Then the Bible tells us, and we go over to chapter 53, the great messianic chapter of the Old Testament. Speaking of Christ, it says in verse 5, the Bible says, but he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. With his stripes we are healed. Again, verse 14 says, And his visage was so marred more than any man, far more than the sons of man. You may be seated. Apostle Paul gives us a song in the New Testament. It's found in Philippians chapter 2, and it's verse number 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who there the Bible says, uh, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be made equal with God, but made himself and fashioned as a man and humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Even the death of the cross. We come to the times of the Old Testament, crucifixion had never been invented. We read that uh, about the time the Persians took over, they took and made this thing called crucifixion, where men would be put upon poles and they'd be lifted up from the ground. There the Bible tells us in the New Testament that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ himself used that phrase a couple of times, be lifted up from the earth. At that point in time, Jesus, of course, would, would go to the cross even though his disciples really didn't recollect to them what it was all about, that he would be lifted up. The Romans had taken it and, and put their form of torture and, and uh, to the thought of the cross and what they would do to men. But Jesus Christ went to the cross, even the death of the cross. There was no greater form of execution in the Bible than crucifixion. And yet the Bible says in the New Testament that he came... In such a time as this, he came, fulfilled under the law, he came and showed himself to that period of time to the people of God. The book of Galatians tells us that. What a thought, dear friend, tonight, that the Lord Jesus Christ was willing to go through not just any death, but the death of the cross in order to pay for our sins and your sins there upon the cross of Calvary. Now I want to preach tonight on the five wounds of Calvary. The five wounds of Calvary. And I want us to look at these, and I'm sure that if you've read your Bible, you know what the Bible says about it. But I want us to look here at what Jesus Christ accomplished with these five wounds that came upon him while he was upon the cross. We'll look at some scripture in Zechariah before we finish up tonight. I want us to turn there in just a few moments. But I want us to see some of the things that come across as we look at this. By the way, when the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth, God sent His only begotten Son to pay for the punishment of man's sins. 
that we might have eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus Christ did not, was not scarred by sin. He, he came and was scarred for sin that we might have eternal life. I suppose we could find people in this world who suffered more than Jesus suffered on the cross. But we'll never find anybody who suffered for sin, was scarred for sin like the Lord Jesus Christ. We see so many people in countries of the world tonight that will pick up a cross and will drag it across the premises as they do in the Philippines and other places. They'll take whips and beat their backs thinking that because of what Jesus did, he set an example of what we must do to pay for our sins. But I got news for you. There was only one Lamb of God. Amen. And there was only one who could have been placed on that cross so that we could have eternal life. Amen. It was Jesus who suffered for us on the cross of Calvary. Jesus, the Jews would stone people, but the Romans crucified people, and Jesus went through that time. We had a few, about two or three months ago around Easter time, uh, we had a man in our church who made who made a cross. And when he made it, he made it. I mean, it was it was heavy. One man cannot carry it, even come close to carry it. And we brought it up and we put it there on, on up on the platform so that other people could see it. It's a typical, probably a pole's about yay big, and we set it there, and it was taken with a cross beam. He even had the little septum that goes on the bottom where they would secure their feet. There we had it, and through the Easter season, I preached a lot on the cross and preached a lot about what Jesus went through so that we could have eternal life. And Jesus, of course, was placed on a cross similar to that, and it's still there today. Some of the people said, we don't want it to, to go away. It was a reminder. That cross is not going to accomplish anything for anybody. But the cross on which Jesus died secured the salvation of the world. Amen. And the scars that he bore are still with him today. I want us to look first of all in the Bible, the Word of God, and I want us to look at the first scar. It actually came before he got to the cross. Now, by the way, folks, a scar, a wound, is something that pierces or penetrates the skin. And for a wound to be a wound or a scar to be there after the wound, of course, there had to have been a piercing of that in the body, in the human body, that was given of our Lord. As a result of that, we see that his first time was he was making his way and he was taken there by the leadership of the Romans. And we see that Pilate had him scourged. Most of you have probably seen scourging or heard of scourging, but think of what Jesus Christ went through there at that point in time. There was different ways they scourged him. By the way, the apostle Paul was scourged five times. But again, what Paul went through was not what Jesus went through. Because again, he was not the Lamb of God for the sins of the world. Jesus Christ allowed himself to be taken. They sometimes would tie their hands to their, to their ankles over a whipping post. Sometimes they took them and put their hands upon a wall in chains. And the back was the main attention to what scourging was all involved. This was a way of sometimes humiliating them, but also to get them to the point where they would surrender and uh, cry their, their guiltiness, and so they wouldn't have to take them and put them on a cross. But Jesus was taken, whatever method they seemed to use at that time, they took Jesus and they put him down and they tied, tied him up, and so a big burly Roman soldier would come by with this whip in his hand, 
Inside of it was a leather, leather handle. And those leather handles would go out with pieces of nail and glass and rocks embedded down into the fabric of that, of that leather. As a result of that, the Jews had a, had a law that when a person was scourged, they could only do it 40 times. So they did it 39 times in case they miscounted. They didn't want to break the law of the scriptures. But these were Romans, big burly soldiers who had, who had scourged many a man. They would take that whip. and They would come down and again every time they hit his back, nine gashes would come across his back. And as a result of that, the blood would begin to ooze out of that wound. It became one of the first scars that Jesus would bear. And as he did, he'd come down again a second time and a third time with all the force and weight and the power of his arms and legs. He would unleash that upon him until literally his body looked like what we read about. It was visage was marred more than any man. The Bible says by his stripes we were healed. As a result of that, we look at that and we think of what Jesus went through on the cross and the things and the agony that he went through. But keep in mind, he was scourged. It was his back that took the brunt of all of this. And even though they would later put a robe upon him that probably stuck to the back side of him and then they took it off when they actually got to the cross itself, here was his back that was scourged by man. The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 50 and verse number 6, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off my hair. I hid my face from shame and spitting. Isaiah 3, 53, 5 that we read tells us there was upon him with his stripes we are healed. Isaiah chapter 38 and verse 17 says, For thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. Think of that for a moment. Here, was, here we think of what happened to our sins. We read about many things that God did with the sins of the world. But here we see that he placed it on his back. As though it was a witness to say, your sins have been paid for. I took them upon the cross of Calvary. Hallelujah, dear friend. Today, Jesus went through, through all of that. It pictured his forgiveness. By turning him to his back and casting our sins behind his back, it became a, a witness to the fact that he said, I will forgive you. I will give you grace. I'll give you mercy. I'll give you the hope for this. By the way, as Jesus was on the cross, he was dying not only for our sin, but he was also dying to take our hell and our punishment for us. Everything that I'm going to describe to you tonight, we see that Jesus could go back to and say within himself, I took that for you. Remember the rich man in hell lifted up his voice? The Bible said he cried, I thirst. Jesus would also thirst upon the cross. Everything that hell would transmit, Jesus took. The wrath of God upon man, he took on the cross of Calvary. I think of the scourging that he took, the witness of that scar that he bore upon his back, many scars that came across there, the scourging that he went through. Again, we know that that will not do us any good unless by faith we put our trust in him. But also see another wound that came from the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was through the spikes that were driven into his hands. Think about this for a moment. As Jesus was taken there, his hands were laid down upon the cross. 
I've studied this out and read this, and maybe you're aware of it too, but they took Jesus, and they, remember, they drove the nails, the Bible says, through the palms of his hand. Now, I don't know how expansive the palm is, but I can tell you this, there's a little place right here in your hand that has all the muscles and, and uh, all the, the bone structure and everything there. But if they would put it right here in the center of his hand, they'd have ripped him right from the cross. In hanging him up there and dropping him into that hole, they would put the nails right here in this soft tissue where the bones come around it. And that would hold him up on the cross. First, they put one hand down and stretched it out to one side and they would put the other hand down and stretch it to the other side. And then of course, there he was. Now they were able to lift him up and put him upright. Sometimes they would drink, take and put a common, common hole in the ground. They would drop that cross down in there and people would come off the cross and they'd have to renail him again. To our knowledge, Jesus only had to do that one time. And they took him and they drove that spike into his hands on both his right and on his left. These men were technicians at what they did. They were experts at execution. They knew exactly how to handle this thing. But isn't it amazing that one of the centurions stepped back and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. It wasn't just a man who's dying, who's paying for his wrongs that have been done. But truly, this lost man said, Truly, this was the Son of God. As Jesus hung there. Somebody said, How much did Jesus love us? He put this hand out, he put this hand out, and he said this much, <laughs> this much. And there he was, and they began to lift him up. I want you to think about those hands for a minute. These are the very hands that were out there in the morn of creation, and they put the stars into place. These are the very hands that laid the foundation of the earth, that put all the beams up that would be needed to, to make earth and its foundation secure. These were the hands of God Almighty. As we read about in the Old Testament, as Jesus came and made his appearance there, all those hands of creation and might and power were there. We see it displayed on creation. Isaiah tells us with his hands that he spanned out the heavens. Now, I don't know about you, but a span is from here to here. And that's usually about six inches. Sometimes it's measured this way. But the span is six inches. Can you imagine how big God's hands are? Then he used it and said, well, I just think I'll put one star here. I th and by the way, the Bible says he did that with his fingers. And he put another star over here. He measured out a span and put it there until all of the universe was framed and formed into motion. It was the hands of God Almighty. And here he was now on the cross and they're driving a spade through it. We look at all of that God had done and the things that accumulated to that time, but I want you to know so also these were the hands of service. These were the hands that reached down. How many times do we read in the New Testament that the Lord Jesus Christ would take and he would reach out to somebody and put his hands on them? He took the blind man and he took spittle and anointed it and put it upon his eyes. Those were the hands that were bound on Calvary. But here he is. He touched the leper with his hands, which most men didn't do because of the naughtiness of their, of their, and the corruption of their bodies. 
He, he hadn't, but yet he touched them. He came up to them to show his mercy and his love towards us. It was not only the hands of service, the hands of creation, but it was the hands of security. Oh, I like this. The Bible tells us in John chapter 10 and verse 28, and I give unto them eternal life. And the Bible says, and they are held in my hands. And he goes on to say, and if they, and then my father's hands are around my hands. And through all of that, God's security comes from the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those same hands that formed, formed creation and put it into place and made it what it ought to be are the same hands that secure you, dear friend, and keep you where you ought to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen tonight with all of our heart and mind what Jesus went through with those spikes that were in his hand. Later on, Jesus would rise up from that grave and he would walk away and he'd go down a road and there were two disciples in front of him. Finally, he joined up with them and he began to talk to them. And he began to tell them, says, you didn't hear? There's this guy in, in, in Jerusalem that from Galilee that came and they put him on a cross. And I don't know if you heard about that. Jesus just went on and says, let me tell you about him. Started giving all these promises from Psalms and the Old Testament and verses that concern the Lord Jesus Christ. And he went to the cross. All of a sudden, they got about seven or eight miles down the road. They got to the little town that they were heading to, Emmaus. And one of the disciples turned in and says, why don't you eat with us? And he said, okay. And he walked in and they had this plate of food and things that were brought there. And he looked over and he reached over with his hand. The Bible says, and the blindness of their eyes went away when he saw they saw that print embedded into his hands. And guess what? Immediately he got up and went back to Jerusalem and so did they. My, they were tired when they got there, but someone had revived them a little bit because they saw something that identified and they know only he could pay for that. I like what one Roman lady said years ago. Somebody, she went to a priest and the priest said, I just want you to know that I can absolve your sins and I can take everything away from you and you won't have to pay for them ever again. And she says, really? He, she said to him, she says, sir, can I see your hands? And he held out his hands. But they were innocent of any marks. She said, my Savior paid for my sins and his hands were pierced. And so she said, that cannot be. And she walked away from him that day. All oh, the nail prints of the Lord Jesus Christ. The spikes that were in his hand. We see also the, uh, the uh, scars that came upon his back through all of that. But then also the scars that came upon his feet. I look at those feet and I see now you know, there's a lot to this, but they took his feet. They would fold them up like this. And they didn't put a spike through both feet. They used one spike. They would take the right foot and cross it over top the left foot. And they would drive one spark or spike into his feet. And the anguish, imagine that. Mm -hmm. Some of those brittle bones of your body. Imagine the agony that would come. As Jesus began to take those sins upon himself begin to pay for the price of our sin.
Now there's a reason why they didn't extend his legs. They kept it in a, in a, like a fetal position because every time the Lord Jesus would take a breath in order to survive, he would have to push himself up. Think about this for a moment. Jesus didn't die of a loss of blood. He surrendered his life. But through all of that, Jesus had to stay alive and procure himself till everything was finished. As a result of that, he would have to push himself up to breathe. And people on the cross didn't die because of loss of blood. They died for the lack of exhaustion. They say the heart would beat sometimes well over 150 times a minute. The blood pressure would soar through all of this. It went through things that we'll go through sometimes in our life, but not to pay for our sins. Oh, listen, Jesus, as he was there, those feet were taken and bound upon the cross. I like what the Bible says in the book of Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15. For the Bible tells us there that I will put enmity between thee and thy seed. Between the woman, of course, and the seed. As a result of that, it says, I will put enmity. And he, he, with his, he will have a mortal blow to the head, but he says, thy feet he shall scar. As a result of that, those feet that he had that was there upon his, on his body were taken. And every time he pushed himself up, his the bottom of his heel would scratch upon the end of that cross. It was his feet that felt the scars of the cross and what Jesus went through for us. Think of this, dear friend, what Jesus Christ poured out for us. Listen, Satan got the mortal blow to the head. But hallelujah, our Savior developed what was necessary and needful to pay for our sins. He didn't die and flew from all of this. He didn't swoon. He didn't, he didn't go quietly into the grave. He gave up his life that we might have eternal life. Amen. That he might impart to us everlasting life that God gives unto men. Oh, I think of his feet and all that he faced. I think of the woman that came to Jesus would bow before those feet. And they came and held him by the feet and they worshipped him as a result of that. Not knowing those same feet would be nailed to a cross and he would go through all the sufferings and the heartaches of it. We see the scars that came upon his back. We see the scars that came to his hands and to his feet. But the fourth scar that I see was a stinging blow that came to him while he was going to the cross. They would take and they would put a crown upon his head. They said, Hail thou king of the Jews. And they took a robe and they planted it and turned it inside out. That's why one account says a purple robe. Another one says a scarlet robe. And they draped it upon the Lord Jesus Christ's back as he began to make his way. But he set a crown, or a king needs a scepter, and they would put a wooden rod into his hand. And then they said, he also needs a crown. Instead of putting a royal diadem on his hand, the head that he'll wear when he's coming back one of these days, here Jesus Christ put on for us in his humility, put on a crown of thorns. Sometimes those thorns were six to seven inches long. They were usually grew around the walls of the, of the area there in Pilate's judgment hall. And they took it and they weaved it into a homemade crown and they put that upon his head and they planted it down into him and took a board and drilled it on his head so that those nails or those pieces of that thorn would 
be embedded into his brow. The blood would then roll down his face as he would hang there on the cross of Calvary. Oh, what a crown. That crown was given to him. Oh, it thrilled the crowd. But keep in mind, the Bible says that it was cursed. Cursed is he that dies on the cross. And as Jesus hung there on the cross, remember, our worth, our earth, and the things that we have today that come from the ground were cursed by God of creation when man sinned. As we look at that and we total that and we think of that and we put that to mind in thoughts tonight, again, how amazing that those crown of thorns were put upon his head. They made a sport of it, but one of these days, he'll come back and speak the word with that crown upon his head and we'll see men die and then we'll be taken with him in glory. Those that are upon the earth, to those of us who are with him, we'll come with him and be victors as he will have a crown and he'll pass out crowns to all God's people who have also stood up to the test of our faith in this life. Oh, what a thought, that crown upon his head. But there's a fifth scar and it came after he died. As he was hanging there on the cross, they wondered, is he alive? Remember the Bible prophesied in the Old Testament that when Jesus died, that his bones would not be out of joint, which is literally what would happen on the cross if they extended their time there on the cross. But not a bone was broken in fulfillment of what God said. When they ate of that Passover, they were not allowed to have a lamb that would represented by any broken bones or any blemishes. They were to take that and apply that to the doorpost and later would be offered at the Passover supper. As we notice here, Jesus Christ now is living out his life and there he's on the cross. He reaches up to heaven's throne and says, listen, it is finished. Hallelujah. It's all been paid for. It is is finished and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. By the way, when he said that, it is finished. In our English language, that's three words, but in the Greek language of the New Testament, it's one word. It's just one word. It was God's last word to man. It is finished. Obviously, they put him in a, in a borrowed tomb Men came to anoint his body. They sealed it so that no man could tamper with it. But God tampered with it. He was removed after that third day. And he rose again for our sins. But think of this, dear friend. The Bible also tells us in John chapter 19, verse 34. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side. And forthwith out came blood and water. Blood and water. What we need, the blood, of course, is the blood of the Son of God. It was brought as a testimony later on. And why they could not touch him for a while until he ascended into heaven. But thank goodness he also shed blood, which has to do with his word and his preciousness and his cleansing that the priest would use there as the animals would be sprinkled. It took the blood of Christ. But it was the water that sanctifies and sets apart. Out came all that Jesus needed to secure our salvation. Hallelujah. It's not my job tonight to paint such a description to you. 
that you might go away walking in the horrors of the cross, but to see how much God loved us. Amen. What he was willing to go through. No wonder he said in that garden, let this cup pass from me. It wasn't that he was afraid to die, but he was afraid to tamper with sin. And the boldness of God stirred up in his bosom. And that's why he wanted the disciples to pray for him for one hour. But yet, he went to Calvary alone. The Bible says in the Old Testament, and the sheep shall be smitten, or the shepherd shall be smitten, and the sheep shall be scattered. The shepherd was smitten, and so did the disciples and others that he was seeking to lead. Many of them, only John got close enough to the cross Peter got close enough to hurt some of the things, but at first the Bible says he was afar off. He wouldn't get near it. The rest of the disciples fled. Of course, Jesus had already betrayed Jesus Christ, but the smitten shepherd was taken and he offered himself for his sheep to pay for their sins upon the world. I want you to take your Bibles for just one moment here and turn to the book of Zechariah, the Old Testament. It's towards the end of the Old Testament, obviously, and it's found in chapter number 12 and chapter number 13. I want us to look at this for just a moment. I want you to comprehend it. The Bible says here in Zechariah chapter number 12 and verse 10. Notice this verse. Let's look back also. Well, let's look here in verse 10. And the Bible says, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications. And they shall look on me whom thou hast pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. He says there, they shall look on him whom they have pierced. By the way, that will come about in Revelation chapter number one and verse number six, I believe it is. When Jesus will come back again, the Bible says that they shall look on him whom they have pierced. Why does the Bible say that? Because from the rest of eternity, Christ will bear the identity of the cross and what he did for you and for me. I'm amazed at that. I think of that. What a thought. Look, if you will, now in chapter number 13 of the book of Zechariah. And look down, if you will, in verse number 6. And one, give you a moment to find it. And one, Zechariah 13, 6. And one shall say to him, What are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. The Bible said he came to his own, and his own received him not. But in the house of his friends, he was wounded there and paid the price. Those scars that he bore for us will become an identity to Jesus Christ from here on out throughout all eternity. What a thought, dear friend. It's a thought of respect, a thought of dignity, a thought of humility. It's so much, but it's a mark of identity that shall come upon man. As I said there in verse 10 of chapter 12, the Bible reminds us again, they shall look on me whom they have pierced. They'll recognize, hey, this is the one who bore my sin. On the cross of Calvary. I like what Fanny Crosby did. She wrote over a thousand songs that were put to music. 
many poems. And that blind lady, that blind lady, sat down and wrote the song, and I shall know him. I shall know him. I shall know him by the print of the nails in his hand. This blind lady who never saw Jesus, like many of us, that blind lady says, I'll know him. Just show me his prints. Show me what he bore there on the cross. Help me to see this. Another songwriter said, wounded for me, wounded for me. There on the cross was he wounded for me. Gone are my transgressions, and now I'm free. All because Jesus was wounded for me. Amen. I heard a story a number of years ago. It was about a young man named Andy. Andy wasn't quite right in his mental faculties all the time. But most people respected him and loved him because he was belonged to the Lord and had been saved. One day there was a fire in town and Andy went to that fire and he stood out there. He knew there were two children inside of that fire. And so he went in to rescue those kids. The parents were consumed in the flames already, but he went in, hazarded his life. He came out. When he did, he had both of those children, one in each arm. And he set them on the ground. They took blankets and wrapped around him. But after that, the days came when what are we going to do with these two kids? Court system went through their normal things of trying to acquire somebody that would adopt them and take them in or some sort of foster care. They took those two kids, took them to court. It looked like they had a family that might adopt them. Andy didn't have a very secure job. He didn't own anything that he could raise those kids on. But he showed up in court that day. And after the people had presented their side of adopting this child, the judge looked down at Andy. True story, folks. They looked down at Andy. So what do you have to say? He simply took that garment that he had on and took it off and showed all those scars all over his body that he got rescuing those kids. The judge lost it. And granted that day, one of the first people that had ever, in that condition, had ever been able to adopt kids because of the scars on his body. He has a right to our lives, dear friend. And would we secure and do what we could to serve him and live for him because of the scars that Jesus bore? Every head bowed, every eye closed. <clears throat> Going back to the cross tonight. I've been singing this song, Jesus, keep me near the cross all, all day yesterday and some today. Jesus, keep me near the cross. How about you, dear friend? Has there been a time and place in your life when you realize what Jesus did on the cross? He paid for all of your sin. All of it. Past, present, and future. He paid for all your sins on the cross of Calvary in order that you might have eternal life and the forgiveness of your sins, a home in heaven, and all the prizes that he has waiting for us in glory one of these days. 
because he loved you. He took the ultimate sacrifice himself so that you might secure that. If you're here today and you've already believed and trusted in Christ, it's not just something you can dismiss and walk away from. For the Bible said he has bought us with a price. He's redeemed you, but it cost him something to redeem you and adopt you and to make you a child of God and to give you the salvation that you have. How greedy it would be of us, how cruel and callous it would be of us to know that Jesus Christ did that for us and that we don't want to walk his will and trust him in life. Oh, that God would help us to see what ultimate sacrifice Jesus paid for us on the cross of Calvary today. Again, if you're here without Jesus Christ, you can find him tonight. He's found in the pages of the Bible. We proclaimed him tonight to you. Would you trust him? That wasn't all that Jesus bore. That was just some of the physical elements that Jesus bore on the cross. But he bore our sin. He, he bore all the things that our mind produces. All the guilt and judgment that sin brings. Let thank goodness tonight Jesus Christ came to this earth in order to pay for your sins. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father in heaven, I don't know the condition of people tonight. I can speak for myself, Lord. Every time I look at the cross, every time I think what you did, dear God, it just reminds me what a lowly sinner and the God you were willing and had me on your mind, even on the cross, that you might pay for my sin debt and all the sin that accrued for my life. Oh, the God in heaven, the God that you would help me, dear God, to please you and to follow you and dedicate myself so that I can live out my days in peace and happiness and joy, knowing what Christ you've done. Lord, we face battles. We go through heartaches and trials and all things. But thank goodness, dear God, for by grace are we saved through faith and that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works.